0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight's special guest has written two best-selling books, When Disaster Strikes and "When Technology Fails. With the prospects of war approaching more and more by the day, I decided to invite him back to discuss what the most practical scenario would be in order to prepare in the event of war on American soil. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Famburgas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always Love to hear from you. The next guest is Matthew Stein, a design engineer, green builder, and author. Stein is a graduate of MIT where he majored in mechanical engineering. Now we have a more detailed bio on our website. To learn more about Matthew Stein and his work, visit his website at whentechfails.com. Matthew Stein, welcome back to Veritas, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm really terrific today. And thank you so much for having me on. I think it's real important Uh, with what's going on in the world, that we have our eyes open and with a really broad view and not just a narrow focus.
0: Absolutely. And we're going to go all over the place. So folks, please buckle, buckle up, because we're going to go to places where you will not go when you turn on your TV. And we're going to give you a lot of historical perspective so that you know what could possibly be happening here. But first of all, let me just say this regarding this show. It's very apolitical. We try not to get into politics, but everybody knows I voted for Trump because I could not stand Hillary Clinton. So to many people, it's the lesser of two evils. At the same time, what I'm seeing lately, I was happy a couple of weeks ago, Matt, when the president said we were pulling every single troop out of Syria. I thought, great. That's going to be a done deal. Russia is working with Syria. They're going to be getting rid of the remnants of what's happening there. Done. All of a sudden, we get this Iraq invasion lover neocon John Bolton back in the White House as an advisor. And all of a sudden, there's a 180-degree turn from Trump. And immediately after, we get this latest chemical attack on the people Syria. Without any any investigation, the Western world is already blaming Assad. And it seems a a repeat of 2003 with Colin Powell showing the little vial of chemical weapons that uh, Saddam Hussein had. Your take on this?
1: Well, my take is that it's a really complicated place in Syria. And Trump really values the The advice of his generals, which is a double edged sword. Like, um, John F. Kennedy listened to his generals and supported the Bay of Pigs invasion. And when he realized that they lied to him, And they suckered him in there, and then they were planning on him saying, well, now we're committed in sending in full troops and and basically invading Cuba and supporting the Bay of Pigs invasion. And Kennedy felt totally suckered, and he pulled out, and then he was getting ready to pull out of Vietnam, and he's getting ready to nationalize the – you know the Federal Reserve, and he got whacked. He got he got killed. Now the exact details and exactly how he got killed, I'm not totally clear on. But to me, it's clear that uh, you know the military-industrial complex didn't like it, didn't like the direction he was going. Johnson didn't want it. They teamed up with maybe a bunch of other people, and and they got rid of him. Now, so we're in a dangerous territory here. Trump, for one, is listening to the generals. But he also has brought back in a number one neocon from the Bush administration, who's all into invasions. You know, he's made it very clear that in the past he would have invaded Syria, that he would have invaded uh, Iran, and this so this is a very very dangerous situation where um, you know you have g- generals that are war hawks in general. <laughs> no pun intended. And then you have a guy who's even more of a war hawk than the generals, Bolton. And and he's and those are two people who who's got his ears. So we're in dangerous territory. Now, as far as whether it's deep state or not, let me just talk a little bit about the background in Syria. The generals felt that, you know, they went in uh, during Obama and, and they supported the Kurds in fighting ISIS. And and they and the Kurds were, I think, you know, a valid force, a good force for fighting ISIS. Now we'll get back into how ISIS got founded in in a minute, but let's go down this rabbit hole first. So they've so now as we're kind of talking about pulling out, the generals right rightfully feel, hey, we've supported and committed to these Kurds, but now on one side, Erdogan, I think I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, the the head of uh, Turkey. Erdogan. Yeah, he okay, that's correct. He, he's. He's saying, hey, the Kurds are a real thorn in my side, and I want to get rid of the Kurds, and, and with the U.S. pulling out, then that sort of empowers him to go in and kind of wipe out Kurds as much as possible, and then you have you have the Russians and, and Assad saying, hey, these Kurds are a thorn in our side too, so, so the generals are, are rightfully feeling like, hey, we, we – we buddied up with these guys, and we helped fight ISIS, and it really made a huge difference, and now we're just going to pull out, turn our backs on them, and we really can't do this. I mean what's that going, what's that going to say to anybody downstream that we're going to want to enlist as, as allies on our side? Okay, so that's a, that's a good point. Looking back further, you can say, well, what created ISIS? And you can say, well, uh, George W. Bush and the neocons and American policies and the invasion of Iraq. Created ISIS because we destroyed the infrastructure of the country. We we took the ruling people and threw them out. We buddied up with with you know with the party against against uh, Saddam Hussein and all of those highly trained people who ran the military and ran the country were then suddenly out of a job and starving. And basically, they had – their way to survive and their way to do things was team up and create ISIS. So they were ISIS and they were allied with ISIS. It's hard to separate the two. And so it really was an American creation. Going back further, looking back further in how our interventions created all of these problems in the Middle East, in the 1950s, when BP, uh, the the petroleum in Iran Iran, was – uh, they were talking about Mossadegh was a Western educated, very you know liberal, very very not not liberal in the bad sense, but in a good sense. He he was he was educated. He was for women's rights. He was for equal rights of men and women. He was down on Islamic fundamentalism, and he was the freely elected ruler of Iran, and he was facing. Uh, people who were very hard communist and and really wanted to take over and boot all the foreigners out of Iran and, and, and instead we ended up with this kind of really good guy, middle of the road guy but what he looked at was that his country was pumping all of the money out, out you know, it, it, all of the resources of Iran was basically in their oil and he said, hey, I have poor people, you know, we have a lot of very poverty stricken people and, and not much education and our natural wealth is all going out of this country, and we're getting very little in return. Most of the people who are being paid a lot of money in our country are foreigners who come in to work the oil industry. So he said, Hey, I want like a 20% cut, you know, and, and which in retrospect looks very reasonable. In fact, what he re- requested was less than what we ended up giving the Saudis. Uh, which is a much more repressive regime than the Mossadegh regime was in in Iran. So what he was requesting was very reasonable from a historical perspective, but BP didn't like that. They're like used to running the show and calling the shots and making all the money. So they enlisted the help of the United States and the CIA, and and Britain's equivalent of the CIA together teamed up with our CIA, and they funded and staged a coup. That threw out Mossadegh, and he spent the next three years in house arrest, and he died in in his home under house arrest, and the country went down the tubes because we replaced this really progressive, well-loved leader with the Shah of Iran who was death squads and torture teams, and and basically he kind of said, hey, you guys can sell all your Coca-Cola and all the American goods you want. And, and take all of our oil and make all the money you want. Provided that you make me incredibly rich and and wealthy, and you give me all the military training and all of the, and we went and trained him in how to do torture and and how to you know get get information out of suspects and things like that. That so so we cut our own throats in the Middle East because up until then we were kind of seen as good guys, and after that we were seen as really bad guys. That we took this progressive, democratically elected guy and threw him out and replaced him with with basically a fascist totalitarian leader that was totally in favor of torture and death squads and secret police. So that made the basis for the revolution where what was interesting, in, and I have a good friend who is Iranian, and the revolution teamed up the liberal left with the fundamentalist right to overthrow the Shah. But then over time, the Ayatollahs took over the revolution and basically imprisoned the guys on the left. And so what my friend was in prison for a couple of years and thought that he was actually going to die in prison and he'd never see the light of day. But he was a really good cook and he's a really nice guy and he's really fun. And the guards loved him and he cooked meals for him every day. So after two years of watching some of his friends get executed every week, they just let him out of jail one day. So so anyway, there's some history there of the Middle East and how we got into such a terrible mess, and it's not a simple, easy thing to, to just say, oh, here's a simple solution now that we've messed it up so bad. But what it points to is, too, is the dangers of our intervention and messing things up and doing the wrong things. And right now, the fact that we have John Bolton in there, who's even more of a war hawk than the generals who have had Trump's ear. So here we have this man, Trump, who said, we're not going to get into foreign wars. We're going to stay out of that business. It's going to be, you know, we're going to like stop intervening all around the world. Now you've got like, you know, the worst intervening guy you can imagine just about who's who's there bending Trump's ear. So it's a very scary situation.
0: And this is going to sound very isolationist, but even, even, and I don't believe that Assad is responsible because just a a few mere months ago, he was gaining ground and getting rid of ISIS and the civil war was coming to an end. So the world was watching that thinking, okay. And even Trump said, let's leave him alone. All of a sudden, another chemical attack. What kind of dumb person would do such a thing, to get the entire world against him. Look, at in 2015, Turkey was caught smuggling ISIS oil across the border from Syria. Assad is loved by his people. Syria is one of the last bastions in the Middle East that protects Christians. And I think the issue here, actually there are multiple issues, there's the pipeline, and there's the issue of the Shias and the Alawites, What is Syria mostly? Shia. What is Iran mostly? Shia. There's no central bank also. And of course, Assad has to go. Even General Wesley Clark said that when the plan, you know, years ago, it was Afghanistan, it was Iraq, Iran, Syria was part of the plan. Apparently, this has been delayed. So, and by the way, Clark changed his version afterwards. I think somebody talked to him. So I think this is ridiculous that they're pointing the finger at Assad. And even if he did, let's pretend that he actually did it. Why is it our business to continue spending trillions of dollars and losing our military, their lives over there? Why?
1: I'll have to agree with you on that. And also the thought of, wait a minute, if you go in and bomb a bunch of buildings and kill a bunch of people, with bombs and machine guns they're just as dead as whether they're killed with chemical weapons or that i'm really not quite exactly. sure why it's like oh well we have rules and you know dead is dead is dead and whether it's like an israeli bomb that's blowing up palestinians and they're seeing their kids or their and their husbands and wives you know dying in the debris it's horrible any way you look at it whether they whether they're choking on on chemical weapons or dying from being blown to pieces. I mean, it, dead is dead and crippled is crippled.
0: Now, let's get into the meat of things now. What are your biggest concerns that are keeping you up at, at night? Let's begin with that, because as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, every American alive today only has heard of war through their ancestors, their, perhaps their a late father or, or, or grandparents. I mean, we're losing a lot of the great generation that fought World War II. Those are the people who won wars. Now, this newer generation, they they fought wars in Iraq, Afghanistan. But most Americans who are here today who are non-military have no idea of what war on their soil is. And a lot of European people listen to this program so they know. But us here in the United States... We're so isolationist when it comes to war here. What would happen? Paint a picture of what would happen. And I know many people are going to say, Mel, that's not going to happen. We have nuclear weapons. That's the biggest deterrent. We'll never see war. We'll never see Chinese troops or Russian troops walking our soil or United Nations. Are we right or are we wrong?
1: Well, chances that we'll see troops walking our soil is very slim, but But, it could get there through a roundabout way that the most likely scenario is that we're going to see a war that uh, destroys the United States, and the United States will never exist again as we know it and the reason that would happen is there's retribution for our invasion of another country. So it's retribution in one of two ways. It's retribution by a terrorist act, or it's retribution by a country that we've invaded, that basically, as in their in their dying, screw you to the United States. They, for instance, in North Korea, if we did the preemptive strike that someone like John Bolton uh, seems to be suggesting we do, uh, if I was Kim Jong Un and the united states was invading and made it clear they're taking me out you know i i think he has the capability i would probably do what you know what i would probably do if i was him and i think he has the capability is send at least a single nuclear device on on a missile for a high altitude blast over the center of the united states that would take out The entire United States grid and most – in all of the critical electronics in the affected zone. This is a line of sight. This is called an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse. So the chances that he'd send troops to the United States – and unless it was an after the fact of a pulse thing, and they wanted to clean up after the fact and take over the United States, which somebody could do, and, and it's certainly a possibility. I mean, North Korea wouldn't, but you know, a China or somebody else could, or Russia could decide. Well, you know, we're going to go and take it over and restore order because the country is gone, as as far as it, and it'll never come back the way it used to be. So at that point, after an EMP attack, it's conceivable that you could have some foreign. Country deciding to restore order to the United States and come in and send their troops here. Uh, but say, you know, going backing back up, what's a e- high altitude EMP do? That's when a missile uh, launches a nuclear device and it, ha- and it doesn't have to be a big device. It, a Nagasaki Hiroshima style bomb, like a very, very basic bomb, which is what we know North Korea has already exploded several times. If they could get that up, Say 125, 150, 200, 250 miles above the United States. It's a line of sight effect, and there's an E1, E2, E3 effect that happens. And basically, in the E1, is like uh, it happens in a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a blink of an eye in nanoseconds. And it's like rubbing your feet on the carpet and opening up your computer and sparking a bunch of the chips inside your computer and saying, "Gee, what I, I you know, what do you think that did?" And that's like an electrostatic effect that happens almost at the speed of light, and it goes over the entire affected zone. Which, if it's if this missiles up like a hundred miles, that's a two thousand mile circle that covers everywhere from Miami to uh, Quebec City to Ottawa, Ontario. You know, in, in, includes Chicago and includes the entire East Coast of the United States. And and if they get it up like two hundred miles, then it basically covers the entire continental United States. So so then the E2 effect is is like thousands to millions of lightning bolts happening in the next two seconds over the affected zone. And so all of those cool surge protectors we have on our electronic devices will be destroyed by the E1 effect unless they're mil-spec polyphaser or similar style surge protectors. All of our cool surge protectors will be destroyed and you'll be having these lightning bolt-like effects happening all over and running down the lines and things that weren't destroyed by the E1 effect, you know, much of our electronic stuff will be destroyed by the E2 effect. And then, like, in the next uh, half, you know, half a minute to 20 minutes, the E3 effect comes along and that's like this long, slow burn and it induces these giant megawatts of power in all of those high-tension lines that crisscross the United States where they're up, you know,